Hello to all pioneers, visionaries, and innovators. My name is Janice King. Welcome to Passioners Podcast, a podcast that tells stories of passionate people who inspire us, and hopefully you as well. If you enjoy listening to us, we appreciate you rating us and leaving a comment on the Apple Podcast. Today's episode is about Miss Katie Holtz, founder of Grocery Shopee, a meal planning technology company that builds and orders customer shopping carts based on the recipes they want to make. My first question for you was, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast are college students. So could you quickly describe how you are like in college? Got my undergraduate degree in marketing. And uh, I was young. I went to school when I was, um, what was that, like 17. And um, just sort of, you know, did the fast track through school. So I was done at 20 and um, ended up going back to school twice to get my MBA. So this is what happens when you're a woman and you're trying to start a family and have a career at the same time. So I have half of an MBA from VCU um, from like the mid 2000 range. And then I went back to school um, to actually start over from scratch. But I went back to William & Mary this time. in Williamsburg, Virginia, to get my MBA uh, second time around and completed that. Um, yeah, and that was um, that was just an important step for me because I was one of those people that was uh, I was corporate and I was looking for that place where I could uh, learn more about all things related to business. I knew I wanted to start my own business. I knew that there was a lot that I didn't know, but I wasn't totally sure what that was. And um, and I was also kind of buying some time because I. I just sort of made it to a place in my career where I, I kind of wanted to stay there for a little while, but at the same time, um, I knew that I needed to get some more skills under my belt so I could roll off and go do my own thing. Okay, so my second question was a question that I read in an article, which was so cool. 1999, when you finished college, you needed a job in Atlanta. So you cold called an executive with Fortune magazine and asked her to help you with your career. Could you describe more details how that happened and what happened after? Sure. So um, yeah, the crazy things that happened. So it was senior year of college, and uh, I realized that um, the the like my last spring break, like all of a sudden you realize like, all these last things are going to happen because I, I realized I was going to graduate early. And um, so I was getting it all lined up and, um, and, I, and I ended up being a December graduate. And I um, had a bunch of sorority sisters moving to Atlanta. And I was like, I, I gotta figure this out, you know? And um, so I was um, connecting and networking and um, there's a lady whose kids actually went to the high school that we went to. And um, she was an executive with Fortune. Um, I knew nothing about what she did outside of that. Um, but I know that she went to Auburn down in Alabama and my dad went to Auburn. And so they knew each other through a local thing, um, alumni thing. And uh, yeah, so I just knew of her, looked her up and um, called her and I just sort of pitched myself to her and said, listen, I'm you know, looking for a job. Uh, I have a marketing undergraduate degree. I had really good internship experience, which is so critical because there's a lot of people graduating with marketing degrees. And, um, and that internship experience gave me something to talk about. You know, so I'm talking about the trade shows and talking about the, uh, I did a lot of events for the first portion of my career. And um, yeah, she was just amazing. I remember the phone call like it was yesterday. And she said, you know, I think I know some people, Um, stand by. And um, the next time she called me, she said, well, you know, there's a CEO in Atlanta who has a vacancy and uh, it's it's like a junior, you know, uh, 
um, beginner role and um, yeah, and it was for trade shows, which was perfect. And so um, Louise uh, helped me make that connection and she kind of became my mentor from that point forward. And I can think of a couple times in life when I was torn, um, you know, got a really big job offer one time in DC, but if I took it, I was gonna have to leave some personal stuff and kind of change some, some things in my personal life. And um, yeah, and you know, I, I sat down with breakfast, you know, with her one day and she's like, what the hell's wrong with you? Of course you're going to take that job. You know, it's like twice my, my past salary. And, um, you know, just, just the decisions where you kind of get stuck. And then, um, one day about two and a half years ago, uh, I was in my hometown and, um, she was going through something personally in her life. And we went and took a walk together, hadn't seen each other in years. And I told her that I had this dream of being a tech CEO. And she's one of those people that you could say that to. And I knew she wouldn't, you know, I mean, a lot of people would, would sort of laugh or go, oh yeah, you know, nice, nice big goal. Um, she, she just looked at me dead in the eye and she goes, we need to make that happen. And uh, I said, well, I've written these wireframes. I've got this tech in my head and I've got pictures and uh, I think it's real. I've kind of edited it with some people, you know, I've got some people who are interested in writing checks to kind of, you know, get it rolling. And um, that's all it took. And so she became my advisor for the company. And a couple months in, I landed a speaking opportunity somewhere and we got inundated. I mean, inundated with inquiries from um, a certain type of business that we now sell into. And, uh, and I, I was a one woman show and I called her and I said, you have to come help me. You have to. And so she actually came out of retirement <laughs> to come do it with me. And it's just like the greatest blessing because there's a very strong relationship that we have. And if you're going to co-found something with someone, it's, that is not a stranger. You should never make that a stranger. It is, you're making a big decision. And um, that person is going to have influence for the entire life cycle of your company. And so um, it was just going into business with someone who I trust completely um, beyond the fact that we just collaborate really well together. So she's your co-founder and is she still involved with the company in a daily company? Every day. I've been on the phone with her all morning. Yeah, she's, um, yep, she's chosen to live in Atlanta, which is great because we actually have investors in Atlanta. So it's worked out well. And um, yeah, she leads a certain side of the house. I lead a different side of the house. And um, we've, you know, it's, it's everyday battle. When you're launching a tech startup, it is um, every day just going at it, hustling, making sure you've got appointments, you've got follow-up, you've got new marketing materials, new website, you know, where the lead's coming from, all that good stuff. So uh, yeah, she owns a huge, huge project with marketing and sales on top of um, one of the two groups that we sell into. So she's very active. Gotcha. So what made you think you want to start a tech company? I know that you didn't major in computer science or any tech related in college. So why specifically a tech CEO? Uh, you know, I'm considered a non-technical founder and I, um, but I worked in marketing uh, my entire career. And back in like 08, I was actually in trade shows and they were launching all this new tech for trade shows, uh, new ways to register people digitally. And at the time I was coding HTML. So I kind of picked that up just as a hobby. And um, I started learning more and more about these systems. And then I started reading those little free packets that they had like to download on their website. And I sort of just became an expert in digital marketing and HubSpot was really like pumping at that point. And they just had all this free content and I would just take it to bed at night and just read it before bed every night. Uh, and I love digital marketing because it, when you run out of people to compete with, you can just compete with yourself. If you, whatever your last campaign was, X conversion, next time it's going to be Y conversion. And you just, it, it just allows you to 
operate at a different level when it comes to optimization. And that's, you know, if you're a digital marketer, optimization should be what you think about every single day. And so um, I, as a performance marketer, so I worked for, uh, I was in consulting for a long time. And my last role in consulting before I did the pivot was performance marketing, which is the data side of marketing. And that was um, just just where my brain was. And, and I had a problem, a very distinct problem um, in my personal life. Um, figuring out how I'm going to feed my kids every day at 6.30 when I get off the train and they're starving and there's nothing in the fridge. And I basically just had this picture in my head. Um, but I mean, I, I failed a lot. I had to, I tried to solve the problem a lot of different ways before we figured it out. Um, but yeah, it just eventually evolved into this picture and I just kept drawing it. And finally, um, I worked with a UX designer and a graphic designer. We just kind of laid out a version of it and realized that this just, you know, was something we needed to pressure test. And so, um, yeah, I, I actually feel like I was very qualified for the job in a way because uh, be, when you're an expert at X, whatever X is, that, that's the pocket you need to play in. And coming into grocery and not being a grocery person at all, um, the first award that we ever got was a tech award. Why? Because that, you know, because we solve, we solve a big problem that they're struggling to solve. And the next award we got was, you know, a grocery tech, you know, uh, executive award. And so you have to kind of just figure it out. But it's just looking for ways to validate yourself, validate your company. And um, and it's, you know, and just sort of play it to your advantage because people come into businesses all the time and try to spin stuff up because they have an idea. But if you're if you don't have native core expertise in something, move on. It's just not the right idea for you. Gotcha. And you told me all about the entire step of how you found, you have your co-founder and how you work with other people to start this company. So before kind of coming back, was there a specific point in life when you knew that, oh, this is the problem. I need to solve this. Uh, it, it just didn't go away, really. Um, you know, the, the, when I moved to Chicago, I had an 18-month-old um, and a husband who traveled full time. And, um, I was just struggling with the same problem of, you know, I didn't have the time on Sundays anymore to do meal planning. And, you know, as soon as you have a child, like you just have no free time. And so all the time to, you know, figure out what I was going to make and jot it all down, go to the store and shop for it and come home, put it in the fridge and it, all that was gone. And so, um, that, that problem just never really went away. And that became the, um, the, the problem that I kept trying to solve in Chicago, and I remember I had a, a lot of the working moms would say, oh, you know, Peapod, it's so great, it's so great. Just just order Peapod online. And I would open it up on my computer and I get when I got to the office, but I would never check out because I would just stare at the screen. I'm like, I don't know what I want to make. You know, we just had tacos last night. So here I am putting taco shells in my cart. I'm like, I do not want tacos again. And that creativity became the problem. Um, the problems evolved a lot. So even, even after we wrote the initial wireframes that became the prototype, you know, things have evolved tremendously. I mean, recipe content's free on the internet. Every second, it's fresh recipes on the internet. And um, so you're now, you know, the grocers aren't just trying to compete with like the low bar, they're actually competing with the highest bar. I mean, you know, Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram's constant recipe content on top of every other provider out there um, that has subscriptions, et cetera. So um, not only did we have to create something that fit, that truly answered the need of the shopper, which I would argue the shopper has been lost in this whole math equation of, of businesses trying to figure out how to get in touch with shopper marketing dollars. Um, but we had to then allow it to evolve quickly. And so customer discovery was massive and key in that, um, in that path. 
Now that you told me that, one thing that I really want to ask was that you said you're super busy. You had this 18-month-old child, baby, and Sunday you didn't have time to make food. But how did you make the time and fuel that energy and frustration to start something? Because usually people say, I don't have time. I'll just work harder or I'll spend less time with my mm -hmm. kids or work. How did, how did you do that? <laughs> I was actually getting my MBA too. <laughs> Um, so, uh, you know, when, when you want it, you just want it. Um, I, I was, um, finishing my MBA. I think I had one semester left and, um, and I'd already written the wireframes. Oh, but truly though, you know, it's funny. It all comes flooding back. Um, I had a mentor who I had done some contract work for years ago, earlier in my career. And he was the one that kept turning on the deadlines. And he's like, once I pitched him, he's like, yeah, he's like, uh, let me see it. I said, okay, let me work on that. And he's like, no, 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 no. You have till Friday. You have till Friday. And I was like, okay. He goes, and, and don't put more than two hours in it, the whole thing, just prototypes. And uh, yeah, so, you know, you, I sort of had to, if I wanted his attention, I had to hustle. And uh, yes, you just figure it out. And there's something about, you know, starting a business where your weekends really aren't weekends anymore. And you just have to let it go. And you have to go, you know what, there's a day when it'll all, you know, repay um, but I, I, I mean, I was embarrassed on Christmas. I was diverting emails so they didn't hit. Um, but you just, you just, cause things had to get dealt with on Christmas day. You know, it's, we're, we're intact. This is, you know, people grocery shop on Christmas day. It's, you do what you gotta do. And so, um, yeah, but I, but I will say too, when the fire burns inside of you to, to pivot and do the next thing, you have to be smart cause you have, you know, rent and, you know, cars and insurance and all these responsibilities you have when you're adulting. But at the same time, um, if you can do it off the side and, and prove it and then pivot, it's it's just, um, you know, it's, it's a dedication and it's a commitment that you make to yourself for your future. So could you tell us about how grocery shopping works and the problem you have described sure. pretty extensively? So the solutions of that problem. Sure. So, um, so grocery shopping um, answers a problem where the um, meal planning is not... Um, offered within the shopping environment at the grocery level. So when you go to your grocer's website to order your groceries for the week, if you digitally shop, um, you are now um, adding every single item individually to a cart. And um, even if they have recipes on their site, the clickable tech is third party, uh, it's disconnected. It is um, off of the journey for actually shopping for groceries. You have to find another link, dig into it, start correcting your, creating your lists, et cetera. Highly, highly segmented. And clicks exceed you know, 15 plus clicks to get to the finish line, assuming you can get to the finish line. And on many grocers, many of the top grocers um, that we've met with and pitched into, um, they, they actually have dead ends and they don't even, they aren't even aware of it. Um, broken links, things like that. So um, we solved the problem by allowing you to come in completely cold. And um, instead of trying to search for recipes while you're filling your cart online, uh, we actually just feed them in there for you. And we use a three-pronged decision-making algorithm that's proprietary. We uh, fill your cart quickly. Um, we get you to and through checkout in five minutes or less. And it allows the grocer to still do um, everything in terms of all the services that they already offer. They all still exist. We're very narrow, part of the first mile of the online grocery shopping um, journey. The grocer still uses all their back-end fulfillment, um, all their delivery options or pickup options, all that stays the same. Um, we just simply augment the front end of the journey with a separate journey 
that allows the shopper to use recipes to get to the finish line quickly. And then when they when they fill their cart, they still can do everything they were going to do to begin with. Bananas, cereal, milk, um, all those items can still be added. So it's uh, it, it absolutely answers a problem, um, has tremendous value for the grocers, for the food products, and for the shopper, which is a really big deal to us. Um, when you look at other models, there's one person, one of the stakeholders is getting burned, and then the rest are winning. Um, so we created a model where everyone wins, and um, yeah, and it's and so it's it's been a really exciting ride. So the delivery and actually placing the order is the grocery is doing that. It happens within their e-commerce. Gotcha. So we actually drop into their e-commerce platform, and if they built it themselves, we work with them directly. If they built it with an e-commerce platform, we then go partner with them. Gotcha. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, you quickly mentioned the word first mile. And could you briefly explain that to listeners, um, your approach to first mile versus the last mile? To when it gets to your doorstep. And, you know, we're part of these conversations all the time. And the grocers are like, ah, oh, just got to get those groceries to those busy moms as fast as we can, right? You know, well, I, I can do it in two hours. Well, this group can do it in an hour. You know, we'll pay a premium to get to you in an hour. And we started running all this, uh, our own uh, research, and we have almost well over a thousand people that we can pulse survey. It's a private group. And we're like, is this true? Do y'all really care that much about how quickly your groceries get there? And we didn't hear what the industry was saying. We heard that it was the first mile that was the problem, it was getting the groceries into the cart. Three out of four shoppers who go to online grocery shop quit before they make it to checkout. And that is a disgusting amount of lost revenue. That's also an insane amount of really, really frustrated shoppers. People who are just sitting there in the moment going, oh, great. So what am I going to do now? Right? Guess I've got to, you know, get, you know, takeout or, or whatever. You know, plan B has to now be formulated because plan A didn't work. And, and that should be the bigger problem that people care about to address. If you solve that problem, the money comes with it. Right? And so... Um, yeah, the journey to um, first mile allowed us to think through what is this, the single problem that needs to be solved? How narrow can we make it? And then how tight can we address the problem and let it fit and get that, get that product market fit within the marketplace? And uh, so it took an extensive amount of customer discovery. I mean, you really started with the shopper first, and then we just had to evolve into meeting with the grocery execs. And once you meet with them, then you know, now it's time to start talking to product people on the e-commerce side. You know, what, what does the product look like? You know, how, how are we going to build something that drops in? Is that even possible? Um, what are the barriers to that? And so we just, the ball just kept going forward, but we built a company culture that's rooted in customer discovery. We constantly, I mean, just today I have two surveys that are live. We're constantly pumping survey data out there, uh, or surveys to gather the data and make sure that every assumption, every toggle, every feature, um, the elements that we um, the monetize, um, the way that we monetize, the value back to that shopper, making sure we're always answering her problem. How do you want to receive your recipes, right? That's a big question. And you're going to get a different response. On it. The response is going to vary if it's a boomer or a Gen X or Gen Z, right? And so, and then who, whose response takes precedent, right? And so you're just constantly trying to make sure that you have all the information on what the shopper really wants. And then you have to start A-B testing, figure out how are you going to um, pressure test it and answer in your tech because you can't do everything. But I will say too, the um, just the element of customer discovery, I mentioned it a couple times. Um, it is, um, we did an incubator here in Charlotte um, two years ago and it changed our model. 
And I would say that, you know, for those who are thinking about tech and, and building your own um, tech company, a, doing an incubator that is rooted in customer discovery as a, just a core competency was the most amazing way to spend our time. Um, myself and our CTO, who's also one of our co-founders, um, he and I, we actually met there. And he had his own um, uh, startup. His, he'd already exited once, and he was building a second one. And we just ate it up. I mean, you, it, they teach you everything you thought you know about how to run interviews and, and really capture um, unbiased, um, um, you know, content back from you know potential shoppers, buyers, etc. Um, they just completely, you know, train you from the ground up on how to run the interviews and. It, was an, it turned out to be an awesome door opener for us as well. So during that response, I heard you say that you need to have a focus group, and it's also hard to select your focus group. From my research, I see that grocery shopping targets Gen X and Gen Z, which is our, our age group. How does it satisfy the need of the target audience, and why did you pick this group specifically? Yeah, so um, Gen X, Millennial, Gen Z represent the greatest economic opportunity for grocery, period. And so, you know, once the boomers have um, kids moving out of their house, they go from shopping for three, four, five, six kids, six people to two, right? And, and at that, there's probably someone in that house who's sick of cooking. And so you got to look down and that's the way that you, you build your business. Um, and so we, you know, when you look at the uh, millennials, for instance, they are getting married having babies, that, that's a pocket, that's a big pocket, right? That's who you need to be paying attention to. And so I would argue, you know, when we came into this initially, um, you know, we are a pure tech company and uh, I don't need to own data. Recipe data is free on the internet. Um, there's plenty of ways to get yourself recipe data um, that's very high quality. And so um, finding that path was um, important to us, but until we found that path, uh, we were looking at syndicated cookbook content. And, you know, it's the recipe that's out there. It had the beautiful photography, the nutritional data, everything we needed. And it was surprising for us to really dive in and start pumping our, um, our private group uh, for feedback. And, you know, people aren't using cookbooks. They, they, they want bloggers. And, you know, there's, there's a whole conversation around food bloggers. And, you know, what, is that, what does that look like? What's the quality of the content? What's, um, you know, how do, how do you make these decisions and who you work with and who you don't? Um, but we just realized that we needed to cater down to the younger generations. And, um, and then as we began to pulse the boomers as well and understand what they were doing, they were actually picking up on a lot of the trends of the Gen X and millennials. Um, they were using their phones in the kitchen. They were um, querying recipes um, just the same way you and I do. And so they weren't as aware that they were sourcing from food influencers, um, but they were. So, um, yeah, using cookbooks less and less. So, yeah, you just, you know, again, it's just discovery and you have to let yourself and the spirit of discovery is people are going to call your baby ugly and you have to be totally okay with that. And um, I sat through customer discovery uh, incubator with people that did not want to ask the right questions because they were so afraid someone was going to tell them that it was wrong. And they'd already invested, you know, 10,000 in a prototype. It's like, you know, you can do <laughs> time. Time is money. And um, you, if there's a problem, find out now, find out now. And so, um, yeah, so we, we really took it, um, very, um, uh, seriously and, uh, it, just constant conversations, unbiased conversations, people who don't know us, and it just changed the shape of the company completely. 
Gotcha. So how do you respond if someone's tell you that, oh, you're grocery shopping, your early stage, it's it's pretty ugly. Um, how do you respond to that? Well, you, well, you don't, you know, the, the spirit of customer discovery is you don't ever tell them what you do at all. So they can't know that I wrote technology. When I get on the phone with them, um, I just simply let them know that we're working, you know, on customer discovery. And at the time it was part of UNC Charlotte. And um, I just would like to interview them, capture their feedback. And, uh, you know, the grocery executives were the ones that kept going, okay, so what do you do? You said tech, what do you do? Because everyone's looking for emerging technology and grocery. Um, but everyone else, yeah, you just get on the phone and you just start asking questions. And I said, so, you know, tell me how you grocery shop. Oh, have you shopped online? You have. How did that go? Didn't go well? Why not? And you just keep digging and digging and digging. And you just take copious notes and um, you kind of scroll back through notes and go, okay, so you said you find recipes. Where do you find recipes? Do you pay for those recipes? You do. Why? Is that a lot of money to you? Would you pay $5? Would you pay $10? You just keep going and going. And I mean, it came to the point where you just, I would go as long as people would just sit on the phone with me. Because um, you're just gathering so much unstructured data that you can mine down the road. And I mean, we mined it for marketing stuff. We mined it for um, just to try to better understand um, like core problems. It's hard. You know, as you, as you build... It's hard because you start to get, you know, you, you, time fills in the gap from where you started and that feedback that they gave you your roots and you have to keep your roots. And because uh, all of a sudden as a young company, you go, oh, we're making money over here. But but is that, a, you know, um, a deterrent from where you began? And are you are you abandoning your roots? Um, so, yeah, discovery just always takes us back. And that's why we do it. You know, now we use, obviously, you know, digital surveys versus phone calls, but it's more efficient for the most part until we do focus groups. But yeah, so it's it's just a way for us to stay really connected and uh, we're always surprised. We, we built a prototype last week and um, what, what I thought we needed was completely challenged by significant amount of data that came back from a busy mom group that we had um, surveyed, you know, mass audience. And data wins, you know, that's what we do. So it just, it's just awesome, too, because it just allows you to have um, sort of a guide for what you're doing. Um, you know, I remember being back in my corporate days and telling executives, we don't guess. We don't guess anymore. We have data. We don't have to guess. We don't have to imagine or wonder, um, you know, or just, you know, pick one. We don't do that, <laughs> you know. But it's amazing how that still happens a lot. Closing out, I have one last question, which is mm-hmm. that could you tell us one of your favorite quotes that you identify with your way of life and why? One of my favorite quotes, um, gosh, what I always have said in my head for 20 years is you can only go as far as you push. And I'll tell you that as a woman, as, um, you know, as a middle child, um, you know, figuring out um, that there are no barriers, there is no ceiling, you just have to keep pushing and it is work, work. Um, but there's no limitation. I, t- I have a 10 year old daughter, I tell her this all the time. The only limitation is yourself and the amount of sweat you're willing to put in to accomplishing a goal, whatever it is. The first mile solution that Grocery Shopee provides is a good example of a solution to problems that many shoppers face today. It is also a good example for aspiring entrepreneurs to look at the big picture and focus on an aspect where others overlook. It's a solution where both the customers and sellers are happy. The customers spend less time searching for foods for the recipes, grocery stores generate profits, and Grocery Shopee acts as a bridge aiding the transaction to go smoothly. 
To learn more about Ms. Holtz and other passioners we have interviewed in this podcast, and to see behind the scenes of how we create each of our episodes, follow our Instagram at Passioners Podcast. Thank you, Ms. Holtz, for coming to our show today. This episode is researched, edited, and produced by Janice Kang. The episode art is by Mara Heek. Social media photos and descriptions are by Claire Hems. We use original music by Chiazo Ajila. Next episode, Mike and I interview Kristen Cotton, founder of the nonprofit Porch. Passioners Podcast tells the stories of passioners and their journeys. My name is Janice Kang. Thanks a lot for listening.